All right, tonight, Genesis 33 is where we are. We continue to move through the book of Genesis, and tonight we're looking at an account called Reconciled Brothers. Genesis 33, the theme is reconciliation. So let's pray one more time as we prepare our hearts. Father, as we look at the great subject of reconciliation, it is such a rich biblical theme running really through the whole Bible. And it culminates in the work of Jesus Christ, who came to reconcile us back to God and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, as though God were pleading through us for people to be reconciled to God. It's a rich term, Lord. It's a term that uh, has deep meaning, both for our relationship with you and for our relationship with one another. It goes hand in hand with the idea of forgiveness. And tonight, Lord, it's our, our prayer that you would just speak to us about um, how you've reconciled us back to yourself and how we might be ministers of reconciliation in this world. We just pray you'll lead us by your spirit. Give us ears to hear and a heart to obey. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We wanna welcome you again, Genesis 33. We're glad you're here. The story tonight uh, before us is a beautiful example of what true reconciliation looks like. And I would say to you that life is truly unsettled when we are not reconciled to God, first and foremost, but to others that we care about too. I'm going to say that one more time. Life feels unsettled when we are not reconciled to God and to others around us, those who are important to us. Life is filled with opportunities to be irreconciled to people. In fact, there are many people who end up in courts of law and they say they have irreconcilable differences. What that truly means is that they just can't figure out how to live together, how to love each other, how to forgive each other. And uh, if you look at the idea of reconciliation and you ask the question, why would someone need to be reconciled back to somebody else? There's really two major reasons for it. One major reason is sin. The reason that people need to be reconciled back to one another, and we'll, we'll take this into our relationship with God as well in a moment, is because there's a problem. Hopefully this is not going to keep doing this. And the problem, the root or heart of the problem is, is sin. Uh, sin is what causes a divide. In fact, the Bible teaches us in Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, that our sins have made a separation between us and our God so that he will not hear. His arm is not so short that he cannot save. His ear is not dull that he cannot hear. But the problem is sin. And the problem is uh, sin in our relationship with God, but the problem also spills over to our relationship with people. I would say to you that the reason that there's a need for reconciliation for the most part is sin but there's a second thing that does need to be considered, and sometimes it's just simply hurt. You see, sometimes when there's a need for reconciliation, it's not always about sin. It can be about misunderstanding. It, it can be about that sometimes we hurt people um, that we love. I think sometimes what's at the root of, of the need for reconciliation is simply a misunderstanding. And you may have some of those in your life tonight where maybe there's some relationship in your life that's not what it should be. And the reason that that relationship isn't what it should be is because there's been a misunderstanding. And, and that happens in this world. We live in a world where there's all kinds of potential for misunderstanding. Amen? 
I mean, it seems like everywhere we turn, we can be misunderstood, other people can misunderstand us. But I think at the core of the need for reconciliation is sin. And sin can mean just simply that we're imperfect, that we miss the mark. But sin is also transgression. And sometimes we just hurt people that are near and dear to us. And when that happens, uh, it brings a separation in the relationship between people. So when a sin occurs, a transgression, a difficulty in life, here's the idea of, of what happens. These, these words have some synonymous meaning. Alienation happens. In fact, uh, one of the pictures of, of the need for reconciliation and what happens with the ministry of Jesus Christ is that we've been brought near to God. We who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus Christ. And what that means is that when we are alienated from God or separated from God because of our sin, we move back. There's a separation. This is the, the biblical uh, picture of what sin does. It moves us away from God. It moves us away from a relationship with God. And the same is true with our human relationships. When a sin occurs, when a wrong is done, when a hurt happens, when someone gets wounded, they back away from us, or sometimes we back away from them, or sometimes it's both. It's interesting that the word for worship, one of the ideas of the word for worship is to come near to God. God says, if you'll draw near to him, he'll what? Draw near to you. But when there's something that happens in life, whether it's a sin, whether it's intentional transgression or a shortcoming or misunderstanding or whatever it may be, it, it causes a moving back from an intimate relationship. Christianity at its core is to know God in an intimate relationship. It's, Christianity is not about you just showing up at certain places and you don't do certain things and you do certain things and that's what makes you a Christian. To be a Christian is to know God. Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. Christianity is to know God. Eternal life is to know God. And when you are alienated from God or separated from God, the solution is reconciliation. The way that reconciliation is, is bought for us as Christians is we've been Christians is we've been reconciled to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We who are far away have been brought near. That's the beauty of what's happened. And sometimes those of you who have been around the church for a while, you know that the kind of the old uh, picture way that they used to show this in evangelism is they would have like a gospel tract and it would show us as people, sinful human beings, and we'd, we'd be across you know, on the other side, away from God, and God's on this side, and there's this great gulf or chasm between the two of us. And so, you know, oftentimes old gospel tracts would show that people tried to jump over the chasm, this big gulf with good works or religion or, you know, morality, you name it. But each person that tried to bridge that gulf could never get there. J. Vernon McGee said that, you know, if we try to get to God with our, our own good works, it would be like us trying to run off the pier and jump for Catalina. And he said, some of you would get farther than others. It's true. Some of you have better knees than some of us. And you might get a couple feet farther, but nobody's getting to Catalina. The point is, is that there's this great gulf between us and God. It's sin. And the only way that that gulf could be remedied is through 
Jesus Christ. And I like how it's pictured on some of the, the old um, gospel tracks because it shows a, a, a cross and the cross becomes the bridge wherein sinful man crosses back over to God and enters back into a relationship. That's kind of a quick explanation of reconciliation. Tonight, we will look at a picture of reconciliation and the need for forgiveness. And of course, the story is between two men, their brothers. Their names are Jacob and Esau. And for the most part, when the story unfolds in Genesis, most of the focus is on Jacob because Jacob becomes Israel. Israel becomes that, you know, nation through whom the Messiah comes. And so much emphasis is on Jacob. However, the man that really is bearing the grudge right now is Esau. And if you looked at tonight from Esau's perspective for a second, so he's the brother that's been wronged. And what happened is that his brother, his younger brother, they were twins, but Esau was born first. His younger brother stole his birthright. And in that culture, this is a biggie. Now, we do have to say that Esau was pretty dumb because what did he trade the birthright for? A bowl of hungry man stew. That's exactly right. Right? I mean, so he, he devalued the birthright, and Jacob took advantage of his devaluing it. And then Jacob did something dastardly the second time he duped his brother, and that was that he stole his blessing. And he dressed up like Esau, and he put fur, you know, on, and tried to act, you know, sprayed on Esau's cologne, which was Hunter by, uh, I don't know who, who made it. Anyway, and he fooled dad, and dad gave the blessing. And then when Esau showed up, the real Esau showed up, he said, don't you have a blessing for me, my father? This Jacob, is he not rightly called Jacob? He's a supplanter, man. He's a conniver, that brother of mine. And so we know the story. Esau took some, you know, comfort in the fact that when dad passed away, he would kill Jacob. And this is now what he's been chewing on for 20 years. Now, as far as Jacob knows, Esau's been holding a grudge for 20 years. I know in this room tonight, that might not be unusual for some people who have not talked to a family member in 20 years. Do you know, I hear stories of families that haven't talked to each other. And then we get called. This is what happens to pastors sometimes. We get called in to do a funeral or a memorial service. And then we find out, hey, oh, by the way, uh, so-and-so is coming and they haven't talked to so-and-so in 20 years. In fact, they hate each other. Uh, so-and-so may be coming with a gun. So we're hoping that you can bring calm and peace to this. And you're like, what? <laughs> How much are you guys paying me for this? Did I sign up for this? They didn't tell me when I signed up to be a pastor that this is the kind of stuff I would be dealing with. But anyway, relationships, man, they, they can be hurt. There can be uh, wounds that happen. Now, what God offers is terms of peace for mankind. He offers terms of peace through his son, Jesus Christ. He says, look, if you want to, to be at peace with me, you've got to do it my way. I sent my son this is how you'll be reconciled back to me. When Jesus looked over Jerusalem in Luke 19, he said, if you, only you, knew the things which make for peace, but now they are what? Hidden from your eyes. You would not pay attention. Terms of peace are laid out, but they must be received by the sinner. 
So I think most of this room is filled with believers tonight, and we all know terms of peace were offered to us, maybe through the hearing of the Word of God on the radio, maybe through a church service or however you heard it, maybe you're at a harvest crusade, and the terms of peace were laid out. Let's take a harvest crusade, for example. And people were, were told, here's your problem, it's sin. Here's what, it's got, what God did through the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the terms of peace. Do you want to have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, Romans 5.1? Here's the offer. And sometimes you watch this beautiful thing happen, Billy Graham crusades, harvest, and people start to flood down to a field. Now, we don't know every story, but let's just say, for example, that every person that walks down onto that field is accepting the terms of peace. They're making a move. The offer is made. Here's how you can be reconciled back to God, but the choice still lies within the individual. Now, I know in theological circles how that all works gets a little bit debated, but in the end, a term of peace is offered. Here's how you can be right with me. Will you receive that? And if a person responds with the affirmative, with a positive response, and they repent and receive Christ, they enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the simple explanation of the gospel. And it's not very different with people. And here's how it works. So let's say somebody sins against you and you want to offer terms of peace. Maybe your expectation is that you would hear that they would be sorry, that they would take ownership, that they would ask for forgiveness. You would look for some things that would show contriteness and brokenness, and the offer is extended. But the offer that God extends is still with expectation, that you're going to ask for forgiveness, that you're going to repent, that you're going to be contrite. You're going to own your condition before God, and you're going to make it right. And God and Jesus says in John 6 that anybody who comes to him, he will in no wise cast out. If you come to him in honest brokenness, God will not reject contrition. What does that mean? If you're broken and sorry for your sin, God says the door is open. That's why I sent my son Jesus Christ to die for you. And in the human relationships, this is Romans 12, 18. It says, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. You can offer terms of peace, but... When you do, someone still needs to respond. In other words, reconciliation is a two-way street. Amen? Now, there's the party that's been offended. There's the party that wants to extend forgiveness, but yet um, it takes, uh, uh, it's a two-way thing. And so I don't know, in, the, in a room like this tonight, how many of you need to be reconciled to someone? You may have multiple people that come to your mind tonight that this is going to apply to. And I will tell you tonight that this is a beautiful story of hope, maybe even a story of unexpected grace where, you know, maybe there was a thought that this would never be settled. This would never be right again. We know from the very beginning, these two brothers struggled in the womb. We know that mom asked what was going on and they, jo they were literally jostling in the womb. And from the beginning of Jacob's life, uh, he was a wrestler. <laughs> he was a struggler with people, and even with God. And he was living in the shadow of uh, the, the anticipation of a dark reunion. At least he thought it was going to be dark with his brother Esau. 20 years have gone by. They're all grown up. Jacob's got a big family. And now he's anticipating brother coming. And when he sent his servants out, one of the servants came back and said, oh, Esau is coming and 400 men are coming with him. Remember that? Size of a small militia. 
So Jacob begins to take measures and he begins to organize gifts to appease his brother and he begins to organize his family and he's doing everything he can, humanly speaking, to make sure that he has the best chance for survival. Jacob has certainly grown, but he doesn't know what's happened to Esau. And for all that he knows, Esau has just been really uh, letting this grudge and the bitterness and the resentment grow for 20 years. And for all he knows, his hatred has gotten worse. So he's expecting the worst. Have you noticed that sometimes when God's working in your life and you're uh, thinking about anticipating a meeting with someone where there's a strain, we often can make it worse than it actually is. But here's what happens. So uh, when Jacob does everything humanly possible that he can do, and he's in the camp by himself. He even sends the, the family, the wives, and the kids across the brook. All of a sudden, that divine visitor showed up on that night. And remember, he was grabbed, and, and he was in a wrestling match until the wee hours of the morning, right? And we were told from a commentary in Hosea chapter 12 that Jacob wrestled with the angel, Hosea 12 verse 4, and he wept and sought his favor. The commentary from Hosea 12.4 back on Genesis 32 is that really Jacob was hanging on for dear life and he was weeping and he was saying, please, will you bless me, please? Because we know what he was anticipating the next day. The next day, he had the meeting of his life, the meeting where his life was on the line. And I think that Jacob was at the camp and he was praying and he was saying, oh God, will you please help me? We have this recorded prayer. Oh Lord, will you deliver me from my brother Esau? And he was praying. And we've all had those nights. Have you had those nights? I've had many nights like that. Sometimes I have those nights when I drink coffee too late. Can I get a witness? And all of a sudden, man, I'm replaying things in my mind all night long. There's a remedy for that. Switch to decaf. I haven't quite gotten there yet. But, but sometimes we just have those nights. It, it, it has nothing to do with coffee. We just have a heavy heart and a heavy mind. And I, and I mentioned to you that for Jacob, it's the reason that he's going to have this meeting with Esau is not necessarily geographical, but spiritual. Now, I'm doing a little repeat from last week, but... In other words, it doesn't appear that Jacob had to pass through Esau's land. It appears that it was heavy on his heart to make this right. Some of you may be in an experience right now where God's been putting a past situation on your heart, and he's been telling you, I want you to make that right. I have a friend that became a Christian many years ago, and he said he became a Christian, and he had three things that God asked him to do. Uh, after becoming a Christian, three things that he had to make amends for or reconcile. And one of them involved a very uncomfortable phone call that he had to make. And he said he did all three of them and God give, gave him the grace. But he said it was very hard to take those steps. It's one of those things where, you know, you try to confirm it like, God, is that really you? Is this really what you want me to do? But he said when he did all three of those things, and they had to do with relationships and even things that he didn't do the right way with integrity, um, God was with him in every single uh, situation. So this divine visitor comes into the camp, and this divine visitor uh, wrestles with Jacob, and two things happen to Jacob that night. Number one, he gets a new name. What's his new name? Israel. And that name means God prevails. Or, uh, you know, 
It could be governed by God, or we flipped it around last week. It could be God governs or God prevails. But the idea is God did prevail. And we said, we said that Jacob won by losing. And another thing happened that night. He got a new name and a new limp. How do you like that? Because the, the divine visitor touched his thigh. Remember that? Shablam! Whatever that was. And ah! And Jacob had a new name and a new walk. Or if you like it this way, he had a new name and a new hitch in his giddy up. You kind of like this. Jacob was limping. He never walked the same again. Now, when we talk about our walk with Jesus Christ, there's a lot of things the Bible talks about in rapid fire. Romans 6, 4 says we're to walk in newness of life. Romans 8, 4 says we're to walk according to the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says we walk by faith, not by sight. Galatians 5, 17 and 25 says we walk by the Spirit. Ephesians 2, 10 says we walk in good works that God prepares beforehand that we should walk in them. Ephesians 4, 1 says we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Ephesians 4, 17 says we walk not as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. Ephesians 5, 2 says walk in love. Ephesians 5, 8 says walk as children of light. Ephesians 5.15 says, walk carefully and wise. Philippians 3.17 and 18 says, follow godly examples. Colossians 1.10 says, we walk to please God in all respects. John, 1 John 1.7 says, we walk in the light as he is in the light. And 1 John 2.6 says, we walk in the same manner as Jesus walked. Now, if you want that again, sorry, <laughs> it's not going to happen. But I'll tell you this, you can go back and get this recording or if you're a guy, I'm going to go over these on Saturday morning at the men's breakfast with a little bit more detail. Jacob never walked the same again. Would you all take a peek with me at um, Genesis uh, 24 for a second? Let's go back there for a second. He said, Pastor Michael, you haven't even done one verse yet. I know. We're, we're going to get there. But here we go. Genesis 24, look at verse 1. Now, Abraham was old, advanced in age, and the Lord had blessed Abraham in every way, 24-2. And Abraham said to his servant, the oldest of his household who had charge of all that he owned, please place your hand under my thigh. And what happened was he had the servant make an oath promise to go get a bride for his son from his kin, not from outside of his, his kin. And so the promise was made by grabbing the inner thigh. This is, a, this is kind of a patriarchal way to do things. And there are scholars that believe that when the thigh was grabbed, it was a promise on future children or on your posterity. Some people say it's a close connection to the idea of circumcision. I don't know if that's true. But it was basically you made an oath promise and you said, I swear on future generations that I will keep my word, okay? One more place to take a peek at this. Genesis 47. This is a highlight of what's ahead, but Genesis 47, Jacob's old. And it says in chapter 47, go to verse 27, 47, 27. Now Israel lived in the land of Egypt in Goshen, and they acquired property in it and were fruitful and became very numerous, 47, 28. Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, so the length of Jacob's life was 147 years. When the time for Israel to die drew near, that's Jacob. His name is, goes back and forth from Jacob to Israel. 
When the time, verse 29, for Israel to die drew near, he called his son Joseph and said to him, Please, if I found favor in your sight, place now your hand under my thigh and deal with me in kindness and faithfulness. Please do not bury me in Egypt. But when I lie down with my fathers, you shall carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burial place. And he said, I will do as you have said. And he said, swear to me. So he swore to him. Then Israel, or Jacob, bowed in worship at the head of the bed. Just before he died, he called Joseph and he said, I want you to make this oath promise and I want you to grab the thigh and make this covenant promise. Everybody go, go back to our chapter, Genesis 33. When the strange visitor, the divine visitor comes in, the angel of the Lord, an Old Testament appearance of God, a theophany, a Christophany, what does he do to Jacob? He touches what? His thigh. And Jacob had been wrestling with these kinds of thoughts. Is Esau going to kill me and my whole family? God, you said I'm going to have a family that uh, outnumbers the sand of the sea or the dust of the ground, sand of the seashore. But how is that going to happen with him coming with 400 men? Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, save me. And all of a sudden, he's in this wrestling match. And he's wrestling. Oh, God, help. I need your favor. Pam! All of a sudden, he gets hit in the thigh. Here's something. This is a consideration. Do you think the message from that interesting visitor was something like this? Jacob? I know you're, th you're between a rock and a hard place. I know you're wondering if you're going to make it past tomorrow. I know you're wondering if I'm going to be good to my promises. Hey, I'll tell you what, I'll confirm it for you. And I think that this divine visitor, I think there is a connection here, gave Jacob an oath, said, this is what you're used to, okay. And bam, Jacob got the message, I will be true to my promises. You know, we as people, we wrestle with these things all the time. Let's be honest, as Christians, we sometimes have our moments of doubt. We sometimes say, God, I, I believe that, I believe all your promises to me in Jesus Christ, but, but what's going to happen? What, what about this? What about that? What about, I'm looking for a job. Well, how am I going to take care of my family? What about this? I have a loved one that's sick. You know, are they going to make it to heaven? Is this stuff real? What's going on? Are you good to your word? Are you good to your promises? And we wrestle. And God has these ways of reminding us. Sometimes he reminds us by speaking on a subject when we walk into church and we've had something heavy on our heart and all of a sudden God addresses it through a preacher. Or we flip on the radio and we're dealing with some doubt and all of a sudden the radio pastor is speaking directly to that issue. Or sometimes I even had a night like this. I, I was struggling with some things some years ago. And I said, Lord, I, I need to hear from you, please. I need a word from you. I just need to know that you're there and you hear my heart. And all of a sudden, bleep, an email came from a friend that rarely emails me and gave me one of the most encouraging promises in the Bible and said, you were on my heart and I just wanted to send you this Bible verse. And I was like, wow, God is good, right? See, God has a way of confirming his promises. Now, all of that, sets this up. <laughs> Genesis 33, 1. Then Jacob lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau was coming, 
and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. Now, just highlight this in your Bible. Esau is coming. Here it is. Confrontation time. Gulp. Visitor came. Limping. New name. God prevails. But still, there's 400 men coming. And I don't know what's going to happen. And he put the maids and their children in front. Whenever life is in doubt, you put the maids and the children in front. Just kidding. <laughs> He's not really going to do that. That's just, that's a really poor joke. You know, something like this, uh, you know, stepchildren in front, redheaded stepchildren in front. Sorry if you're redheaded tonight. I don't even know where that came from, but <laughs> he, put, he put the maids and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. Now, Joseph was just born, probably a little baby. He puts, of course, the, the woman that was the love of his life, he puts her last with the newborn child. And they're all lined up. You can see Jacob frantically trying to do this. He's limping around. He's probably got no sleep the night before. You know, we're, we've been in situations like that. We don't feel good. We didn't sleep well. I'll tell you a quick story. When the two churches were going to merge um, on that day, Mike Rizzi, when I was going to preach to both churches at our old location, I drank some coffee. This is just such a bad idea <laughs> in the afternoon. And I, of course, I had prepared the message and I was going over my notes and I rock and rolled all night long. I, I maybe got 15 minutes of sleep. It was, it was a praise to God that it was uh, only one service, so I didn't have to preach two, but I did not feel good. And I was just like, Lord, well, you say, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. So eh, you need to show up because I got nothing. <laughs> I didn't feel good. You know, when you don't sleep, you just feel off. And uh, the Lord showed up. He's, he's faithful. But he himself, Jacob, passed, verse 3, on ahead of them and bowed down to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. So now something's changed in Jacob because I thought, when, you know, when you first read this, you, you might think, well, that old conniver, he's probably going to be behind everybody, right? I mean, he was, at, he was on the other side of the brook, right, the night before. So maybe he's going to be last. Maybe he's saying, you guys be the wall and if he finally gets to me. But no, he stepped out in front. Don't you love that? Jacob got out in front of his family and he, and he bowed down to the ground seven times. Husbands, I just want to say something to you. Um, you're supposed to lead your family. You're supposed to be leading them towards Christ and even standing between them and the snake. In Genesis 3, when Eve took of the forbidden fruit, Adam was there. Genesis 3, 6 says he was there. He wasn't off somewhere else. He was there. But he did not do what a man should do. He did not stand between the serpent and his wife. But interestingly enough, the last Adam, Jesus, in John 18, when uh, remember when Judas comes with all the soldiers and Judas has been possessed by Satan and Jesus steps in front of his bride, his church, and he says, who do you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And he said, I am. And do you remember what happened to the soldiers? They all went down like dominoes. I want to see video footage when we get to heaven of uh, that one. But anyway, the last Adam stood between the serpent and his bride. That's what Jesus did for you. He took the penalty to reconcile us back to God. And Jacob gets down, bows down seven times. Seven's the number of perfection. Uh, I read a note here that um, they would approach pharaohs with bowing seven times. Um, interesting. Uh, it made me think of Naaman, the Syrian commander. Remember, he goes... Uh, 
to Elisha, and Elisha won't even come out of the house, and he says, just bow in the Jordan River seven times. Remember Naaman, I'm not going to bow in that dirty river seven times. Not going to do it. And so the, the servant says, well, if he would have told you to jump on your leg for 10 minutes, one leg for 10 minutes, he, that's not the literal thing that he said, but if he would have asked you to do something difficult, would you have done it? Yeah, but there's cleaner rivers back in our homeland. Just dunk in the river seven times. And remember the seventh time when he came up, his skin was like baby skin. You see, Jacob is humbling himself. And even though the prophecy from Genesis 27, 29, the blessing spoken over him was that uh, nations would bow to him, that he would be the master of his brothers. Jacob would. Jacob flips it around and bows before Esau, the man that's supposed to be bowing before him. He bows before him. And look. Here's the picture. If you want reconciliation, it starts with humility. It doesn't matter what your business card says. It doesn't matter what your position is. Humility can cause a lot of relationships to be healed. Amen? If, if someone comes to you and says, I know you and I'd like to be reconciled, but let me tell you everything that you've been doing wrong, and that's the reason that I do the wrong things, and if you just get it together and all of a sudden you realize they're not trying to humble themselves, they're trying to shift blame to you. Well, Jacob knew what he had done to Esau. Think about it. Jacob knew it was shameful. Even though God used it all, Jacob knew it was wrong to dress up like his brother and steal the blessing and and talk him out, him out of his birthright. And so seven times, man, 400 militiamen with probably with weapons. Maybe Jacob didn't even want to look. <laughs> Got a little closer. <laughs> Got a little closer. Maybe he, he was thinking, this is, this is over. He's just going to take a sword and just cut my head off. I'm, I'm done. Lord, please protect my family. He doesn't know what's going to happen. And notice what happens. It says, then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him. <laughs> you think Jacob was going, oh, no! <laughs> and all of a sudden, he gets a hug from Esau. By the way, Esau was known as Big Red. He was a hairy dude, right? But anyway, he embraced him. He fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Oh, my goodness. You know, when I was looking at this, this is some... Uh, some language we see in the story of the prodigal son. The father sees him, his son coming from a distance, and the, the son's thinking the worst. Remember, he's rehearsing his speech. Okay, I'll tell dad. Make me one of your hired servants. I'm not worthy to be. I'm not worthy. Think of Jacob seven times. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy. Right? And what does the dad do? He runs to the son, and he embraces him. And the Greek here is he kisses him over and over and over again. This son of mine who was dead is alive again. He was lost. And now he's found. Jacob had to be shocked. And you know what? I think a lot of people don't understand that when you run to God, he doesn't want to destroy you. He wants to bless you. Do you know that Luke 15, the prodigal story, is a picture of God the Father? Anybody who will run and be broken and, and humble themselves before God, he'll do surprising things with his grace. Even when we say, I'm not worthy, he fell on his neck, he hugged him, he kissed him, and the two brothers wept together. Can you imagine being one of those 400 militiamen? Finally, we thought we were going to have a fight, man. 
And here they are boohooing together. <laughs> I don't know how long it went on. But all of a sudden, the brothers were reconciled. You know, there's a principle here, folks, and here's what it is. In order to be truly reconciled to others, you first have to be reconciled to God. Let me explain. I think there's an order here that we have to see. Jacob, the night before, wrestled with who all night long? With God. And God touched him, the, the, the thigh, and he renamed him, and he said, you are now going to be governed by me. You are not going to walk the same. I have confirmed my oath to you. See, vertical reconciliation is the first step. And then horizontal reconciliation is what follows. Amen? And when I think of that, I think of a cross. First you get right with God, then other relationships fall into place. Here's the biblical order. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. You see, how can we be right with others when we're not right with God? You know, when, when you start to break down uh, relationships that are in trouble, especially when it involves two Christians, at the foundation of those problems typically is a spiritual problem. Amen? See, the truth of the matter is, is that if we can't get along, if we can't love each other as God called us to love, it's because we're not surrendered to Christ. Bottom line. No other discussion that really needs to take place. There's some disobedience happening before God. Now, let me just ease your mind for a second. Welcome to the club. <laughs> I'm not going to sit here and preach down to you guys and say that that means that, you know, those of us who have arrived have this together. No. But it does mean that when something crops up that's a problem in our relationships, we may want to look at the spiritual first. Amen? What? Are you guys out there? We may want to look at the spiritual first and then move down the steps. You see, when, as this is a commentator, Ross says, such is the result when God fights in his way. When God prevails in a relationship, reconciliation comes. This is James Montgomery Boyce. He says, there's another way in which I see the hand of God in this meeting. I noticed that neither Esau nor Jacob mentioned the events that led to their parting years, uh, their parting years before. We have an idea in our day that the only way to deal with a problem is to lay it all on the table, as we say. Well, there are probably times when this can be helpful, but not always. Too often, laying it all on the table means merely getting it off my chest or allowing my grievances against the other person to be known so I can be proven right, basically. He says, sometimes it's better to forget about the past particularly if God has given each of the parties a genuine ability to do so. See, they didn't rehash the past. 
Esau didn't say, and before we hug, I would like you to officially speak before all these people and say, I'm sorry I took your birthright. I'm sorry I took your blessing. No, everybody knew. Everybody knew what was going on. It didn't need to be rehashed to be rehashed. Amen? Now, sometimes it's necessary, and I think Pastor Chris and Others would tell you that in counseling, sometimes there's some value to go back, but the Bible says, us to, says for us to press on. There's some value in that, but my point is this. In this case, it doesn't happen. They just, they know what's at stake here and they reconcile. And he lifted his eyes, verse 5, and saw the women and the children, Esau did, and said, who are these with you? That's a big number. So he said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. Wow, bro, is this your family? Now remember, there's four women and 12 children. And, and Esau has to be thinking, wow, what a family. And so here they are, Bilhah and Zilpah with their four boys, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. Leah was there with her seven, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and daughter Dinah. And lastly, Rachel with her baby Joseph. Each of them bowed down in a formal presentation of the family to uh, Esau. That's verses six through eight. The maids came near with their children. They bowed down. Uh, Leah came near likewise with her children and they bowed down in their order. Afterwards, Joseph came near with Rachel and they bowed down. And he said, what do you mean by all this company which I've met? And he said, to find favor in the sight of my Lord. <laughs> in other words, Esau says, why'd you bring everybody? What's with the formal presentation? And Jacob's like, well, I thought it might curry some favor <laughs> when you looked at my, my family here, my snot-nosed kids and my wives. And, and so uh, it's a beautiful thing. The family gets introduced, and Esau has just met the nation of Israel. Pretty cool, huh? There's the nation. There's the 12 tribes, one to come in Benjamin. And Jacob said, uh, but Esau, verse uh, 9, said, I have plenty, my brother. Let what you have be your own. Remember, uh, along with uh, what he presented to him was 500 plus animals. Jacob said, no, please, if, if now I found favor in your sight, then take my present from my hand. For I see your face as one sees the face of God. You have received me favorably. I see God's fingerprints all over this, brother. Please take my gift which has been brought to you, 11, because God has dealt graciously with me, because I have plenty. Thus he urged him, and he took it. Now, in these days, um, there was a formal way of doing this, and it kind of worked this way. Someone would offer you a gift, and you would say, oh, no, 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 you shouldn't have. No, I don't need anything. And they'd say, they, they'd come back to them. They'd say, please, take the gift. And then they'd say, okay. And that was just kind of the way that they did things. I do this every time my mother has a birthday. I buy her a Kohl's gift card. It's not extravagant. And every time it gets presented to my mother, she says, oh, Michael, why did you have to do that? You didn't have to give me that card. And every year I say, Mom, I know I didn't have to get you the card. I wanted to get you the card. That's why I got to, but you, you have your things and your family and you have car payments and mortgage. And I said, Mom, take the card. <laughs> okay. Every year. She's in her 70s. I'm talking every year. I'm sorry, Mom, if you listen to this later that I just gave away what decade you're in. I repent. I'm bowing right now seven times. See, Jacob had seen the face of God in this situation. 
And many times I've seen the same as God's gone before me and done a miracle. And Esau said, let us take our journey and go. I will go before you. Now the guy who wanted to kill him is offering protection, even potentially putting his life on the line. He said to him, my Lord knows that the children are frail, Jacob responds, and that the flocks and herds which are nursing are a care to me. And if they are driven hard one day, all the flocks will die. Please let my Lord pass on before his servant. I will proceed at my leisure according to the pace of the cattle that are before me and according to the pace of the children until I come to my Lord at Seir. Now, that's where Esau was going, but Jacob wasn't going to Seir. That's outside the promised land. And folks, I have to tell you, it appears that Jacob lied. You know, after this extravagant victory, a night of wrestling with God, humility, reconciliation, you, you would think now, well, now Jacob, we can truly call him Israel, right? He's governed by God. God prevails. But have you ever noticed you have a moment where you see the face of God, the fingerprints of God, and the next moment you're telling lies? You're like, what? Why didn't Jacob just say, we're not going there. God's instructed me to go to the promised land, and it's not going to happen, bro. But I love you. Thank you. Thank you for being gracious. Be blessed. Barnhouse says, what did Esau think when he realized that Jacob was not coming to see her? Esau, kind, generous, and forgiving, shows up far better in all the details of the account than did his brother who had seen the Lord. I mean, after a couple months went by and Jacob didn't show up, what do you think Esau thought? Wow, I think Jacob lied to me. And sometimes some unbelievers get the sense that we go back and forth between Jacob and Israel. Amen. Jacob's name means supplanter or conniver. Israel means governed by God. And by the way, from chapter 33 to 50 in Genesis, it's about two to one. The times that Jacob's called Israel or the times that he's called Jacob are more, twice as many as the times he's called Israel. And some people see that meaning that he kind of goes back and forth between conniver and governed by God. And Esau said, please, let me leave with you some of the people who are with me. But he said, what need is there? Let me, let me find favor in thy sight. I'll leave some guys to guard you in the sight of my Lord. But Jacob says, no, 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 it's not necessary. No. So Esau returned that day on his way to Seir. And Jacob journeyed to Sukkot. And built for himself a house and made booths for his livestock. Therefore, the place is named Sukkot. Now, Jacob came safely to the city of Shechem. Uh, most scholars believe he was supposed to go to Bethel, but he didn't. Which is in the land of Canaan. He's still in the promised land. When he came from Padan Aram and camped before the city. Everybody see the word Sukkot in verse 17? That's the Hebrew word for tabernacle. The Jews call the Feast of Tabernacles Sukkot. Here's where it comes from. It's a little shelter, and uh, this is what they do during the fall feast of tabernacles. But Jacob goes to Shechem. He buys a piece of land, verse 19, where he pitched his tent from the hand of the sons of Hamor, Shechem's father, for 100 pieces of money. Then he erected there an altar. He called it El, El Lohe Israel. It's translated, the mighty God of Israel, or the mighty God is the God of Israel. Final thoughts. Jacob settles in Shechem instead of Bethel, um, where he originally had the vision of God. And here's, this is some conjecture by scholars, but here's, here's how it goes. They believe that Jacob compromised in lying to Esau and then not going back to Bethel, but settling in Shechem. 
And when he does, a terrible incident happens in the next chapter. Dinah gets raped in the land. And scholars have commented that if Jacob wouldn't have compromised here, that probably wouldn't have happened. And so even though he's become a different man, a changed man, he still seems to be a man that takes two steps forward and sometimes three steps back. Can you relate? This is why the Bible is so honest and why the Bible says, walk by the Spirit and you will not fulfill the sinful desires of the flesh. And to be consistent is the key, and it's not always easy. We can see it in the life of Jacob that he had advances, but he failed. And But we can still see God's grace. Would you bow with me? Father, just thank you for the folks that are here tonight and the lessons of reconciliation that we've experienced tonight. And even when we've been changed and we don't walk the same and we get a new name, Christian. Sadly, we don't always live up to that name. Thank you that you're gracious to us even when we don't live up to that name and we don't walk the way we should, Lord. But we don't want to use grace as an excuse for sin. We want to move forward in our lives and we want to try to be as consistent as we can be, not by might nor by power, but by your spirit. Bless these precious people that are here tonight, Lord. Strengthen them in every way that they need it, Father. Strengthen me to be a man of consistency. Thank you for the honesty of the scriptures. They encourage us. Thank you that we've been reconciled to Christ, reconciled to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And if you're here tonight and you're not sure you're a Christian, just keep your head bowed. If you want to be reconciled to Christ tonight, to God through Christ, it's something like this. Jesus, thank you that you came, prayed if it's you, and died on the cross. Forgive me of my sin. I want to be reconciled to you. I want to accept the terms of peace, your death on the cross, your resurrection, and my repentance and belief in you. Thank you, Lord. If you're a prodigal and you've been running, then you might want to take those same terms of peace and repent and come back home. And Lord, for the rest of the believers, just shower them with your encouragement and blessing tonight. In Jesus' name I pray.